Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, you got an extra blessing tag. Uh, Jeremy had to pray a little longer for, I forgot to put my microphone back on. So I had to run back there to get it. And uh, so we're all good now. Um, I appreciate your prayers while uh, Tag and I were in uh, the country of Azerbaijan in the capital city of Baku. We were there training church planners. And uh, this is something that you're a part of through your missions giving, uh, where we are, through uh, Crossover Global, we are training former Muslims who are now church planners going back into Muslim countries. So we go to Baku because that's a Muslim country. Azerbaijan's a Muslim country, but they're, they're um, you know how some people are like cultural Christians and cultural church members. They, you know, they go to church, but they, you know, it's no big deal to them. Well, Baku is, it's kind of like that. They're cultural Muslims. And, and so they're not radical about it or anything. So they're very open to Christians. And they are very open to Christians coming and starting churches. So uh, we, and, and Idris, a guy who has been here a couple of times and has spoken at Gateway, he is recognized by the country as the church planner for the Christian movement in the whole country. And so four times a year, uh, they bring in different, they bring in a new crowd uh, of converted Muslims who are now going back to their countries to plant churches. They come in from the various stand countries like Kyrgyzstan and Kakistan and uh, those, all those stand countries. Uh, they come in from Iran, uh, from Russia, from the, they come in from the, uh, the country of Georgia, and uh, then there's the country of Armenia that's right there on the border. So some of them go back to very difficult places places where they are harassed and arrested and fined and, and uh, their lives are threatened. Uh, so it's, it's a, it, but they can come to Baku and nobody's gonna ask any questions and they get this training. So each year uh, they go through four uh, single, they go through four different training sessions. I come in for the last one and I talk to them about sermon preparations and, and uh, how to uh, be a pastor. And Tag came in and he talked to them about uh, discipleship and talked to, to them about maintaining their family as a ministry. <clears throat> so it's a privilege to meet with these people. And it's amazing how many of these former Muslims, many of them pray to receive Christ through a dream where Jesus came and talked to them actually in a dream. And you don't hear much about that in the United States because the gospel's very open. But where, where they are, they don't hear the gospel. Uh, some of them are in areas they, they don't even meet a Christian. And so Jesus speaks to them in a dream. And, and we hear that story over and over again. Uh, some of the, one of the individuals that was with us uh, before he was a believer he was actually selected to set up the spy agency for the country. And uh, that's back when they were under the Soviet Union. And so that's what he did in Azerbaijan and, and was the head spy guy. Um, and then the KGB accused him of something. They took him to the KGB headquarters 
and then took him four floors down underground, put him in a cell, and he spent 18 years in that cell. Now, he wasn't a believer when he went into that cell, but near the beginning of his incarceration, he found Jesus, and we don't, you know, maybe the, I can't remember if that was in a dream or not, but he accepted Christ into his life. And then when the Soviet Union fell, he was released, and he became a church planter. And so it's an amazing story, and he, he's leading so many Muslims to the Lord. And uh, to be able to just hang out with that guy is amazing. Uh, we heard the story of one of the other church planters. Whenever they go into very difficult places, challenging places, uh, Idris has a deal with them. He said, You're, you know, their job was to call him every two or three days just to check in. And he said, if I don't hear from you in that period, then we are assuming you've been arrested. And uh, he said, our promise to you is we will take care of your family while you are going through what you're going through. Well, one of their individuals didn't call. And uh, indeed, he had been arrested and he was held for two months. And during those two months, he had a hood over his head and his hands tied behind his back and put in a cell for two months. Now, think about that. If I had a hood put over my head, it would take about 10 minutes for me to lose my mind. I don't know about you, but I couldn't handle that. Imagine that for two solid months. In fact, when he did get out and they brought him back home, Idris told us, you know, psychologically he was messed up for a while, but now he's fine and he's back at it again. He's going right back doing the same thing. Isn't that amazing to you? I, I mean, that just, that, that just inspires me that these individuals will risk their lives, their freedom for the sake of the gospel. And you as a church, you're investing in them. We do it through our offering. And, uh, but I, you know, that's really the easiest thing that we can do, but I wanna challenge you to take it one step further. And that is to pray for them. Now we, we can't do mission trips to those kinds of countries. It, it would not work. Uh, it would cause more harm than good. So that's why we never do mission trips from these kinds of trips. Um, but we can pray for them. And uh, in, the, in the pictures that I post, uh, I'm very limited in the, in the faces that I can show. I can show you who our translators are and people like that. But, and I can show you Idris's picture because his country all know who he is. But all the other trainees that are there, we can't show you their pictures. Like I showed a video of, of communion that we were having, but I only showed the communion table and you saw their hands, but you never saw a face. Because their various governments, they monitor social media. And uh, they tag, they look, and they find those kind of individuals. And when they see, they can do the face recognition thing, and then those are the individuals they're going to go after. So it, it puts their lives at risk. So we're very careful about that. <clears throat> so you and I have the privilege of praying for those individuals. And you don't have to know their name. Just pray for them, and God will know who you're talking about. We had, you know, we, you and I as a church have been a part of planting 2,008 churches so far. And our goal now is to plant over the next five years 4,000 more churches. 
So these are former Muslims, and we're, we're actually going into India now and reaching uh, Hindus. And so our goal is to have former Muslims and former Hindus plant churches in their own cities, in their own countries. So pray for that. And encourage, encourage, remind yourself to pray for them that the Holy Spirit will encourage them. Well, we are in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Brandon brought you the message last week. And uh, today was our third message in this series. So we're still in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. And we're just going to go verse by verse. Now, here's, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to spot those action statements that are in these verses. An action statement is usually a verb that's modified and and it tells you something you're to do. And these passages we're looking at today is full of those action statements. And, And so for you as a believer, it helps you to know what you need to be doing as a believer. So let's start with that. And we're gonna begin at verse 14. He says, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting. So that's an action verb, stop fighting over words. Stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Now what he's referring to is they were arguing with false teachers, uh, people who were deceivers, Uh, People who were using human reasoning to argue against God's word. And and so Paul is telling Timothy, he said, not only is this foolish, it's actually dangerous. Um, In fact, he gives three warnings in these short few verses we're studying today. Three times he warns them about this. So that's a big clue that this is a big issue, a uh, a very important issue to address, and a big problem where Timothy was. He says, and they can ruin those who hear them. Now, ruin, that was a big word. In the Greek, that word is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's in reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was ruined by false teaching to the point that God completely destroyed those two cities. And so now Paul's using that exact same word to describe what it means when you get into endless, worthless arguments talking about things that don't matter. He's saying it can ruin people. Here's here's what he means by that, and here's, here's how it applies to us. When two Christians argue about things, and, and I want to tell you, let's just go ahead and put it out there. It breaks my heart to see this happen on Facebook. When I see Christians arguing with each other, debating with each other in a public forum on something like Facebook, and they go after each other and they, they uh, uh, argue against each other, here's why, that that, here's why that's so dangerous. For someone who is a non-believer, and they see two Christians arguing about the Bible, as a non-believer, they most likely are going to go, well, if that's all Christians do, I don't want to have anything to do with that. If Christians cannot even agree over what the Bible says, why should I worry about that? 
you have just ruined that person. And it may very well cost them their eternal soul. And you cannot ruin a person any deeper way than to keep them from Jesus. So while a Christian can be all smug that they won the argument on Facebook, when the reality is as a result of, they may have kept someone out of heaven. That's, that's pretty serious, wouldn't you agree? That's very serious. And the Bible says, <coughs> don't do it. Stay away from it. Nor should you get into an argument with a non-believer. That is not the place to do that. <coughs> to get into an argument with a non-believer on Facebook, what, what do you hope to accomplish? Now, if you want to say something positive, yes, quote scripture, put, put in a, a good devotional, but make it totally separate from any argument. Don't, don't get into that link about whatever they're arguing about. Don't get in into that debate. And there are lots of debates. You know, when Christians start going at it about certain people becoming believers and, or some Christians said this, and, and especially we get into this political thing and, and we start arguing about stuff politically as believers, I want to tell you, you're violating scripture when you do that. So if you want to do something positive, then yeah, quote scripture, put positive things out there. And if somebody tries to argue with you in your, in your posting, just delete them. Don't respond to it. If you start trying to debate them, then you've been pulled in into the very thing the Bible says, don't do it. Because you can ruin someone else. And that should be enough motive right there. This isn't about you winning an argument. This is about you protecting someone from the possibility of losing their soul. Verse 15. Work hard. There's an action statement. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Now he's writing to believers so he's not talking about salvation. You've already been accepted by God, but now you're talking about living for God and you need to live your life in such a way as a believer that God approves of how you're living. Not approving of you to save you, that's already done. But God wants to approve how you're living. So he says, work hard. And then he says, be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. So he says, be a good worker and a hard worker. Now, here, here's, here's why those two go together. It's another way of saying, be a hard worker, but be a smart worker. For you as a believer, here's what that means. If you're going to be a good worker, a smart worker, that means you use and focus on and work in the giftedness God has given you. You do what God has wired you to do. So that's just being smart, and that's being a good worker. 
And so you work hard at doing what God has wired you to do. If God has not wired you to do something, if God has not gifted you to do something, then all you can do is work hard at it. In fact, every time I try to do something I'm not good at and I'm not wired for, I have to work really hard to have any kind of result. And the Bible's saying, you know, that's, you're, you're kind of missing the point. Your job's not to focus on what you're not good at. Your job's to focus on what you are good at. So work, be a good worker, a smart worker, and then work hard at it. So what's your wiring? What's your spiritual gift? That's why we talk about that a lot, because that's so important. What is your spiritual gift, and then what are you doing with it? And then work hard at it. Mature it, develop it, use it for the benefit of others. Now, this is not an excuse for you guys to say to your wife, you know, God's just not wired me to do yard work. That's not what we're talking about. But what has God wired you to do? And then work smart at that. Work hard at that. And then you will see amazing results. Amazing results. You know, here's what I had to discover. Every time I spent a lot of energy and time doing something I I was not good at, I I was taking away the opportunity for somebody who was wired for that. I was taking away their opportunity to do what they're wired to do. So not only was I frustrating myself, I was hurting another believer. Verse 16. Avoid worthless, foolish talk. The second warning. He's saying it again. Avoid worthless and foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Hmm. You see, here's here's what he's saying. If you constantly get into talk that is absolutely worthless and foolish... It's going to continue to take you further down a road you don't want to go. It's going to create even more problems for you. It's going to lead you to behavior that's even worse. So it says avoid it. Don't try to deal with it. You'll avoid it. That means you turn away from it. You go in a different direction. Worthless and foolish talk. Now, you you need to identify that. What is that? Well, he's already told you, arguing about things that don't matter, especially in a public forum. Now, is it okay to sit down with a friend and just kind of talk through things and disagree about things? Yeah, absolutely. But there's got to be a limit to that. I have a dear friend in ministry who likes to use Facebook to point out a lot of negative stuff and and uh, I, I finally, I called him on it. I did it in private, because that's what the Bible says to do. And I went to him in private, and we talked about it. And I said, you know, you really need to stop. You're doing more harm than good. Now, what you're saying may be true, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Avoid worthless, foolish talk. There's too many good things to talk about. There's too much to talk about concerning Jesus. 
Verse 17, now he, he identifies it a little more. He said, this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Spreads like cancer. Cancer, it just eats up the good cells and destroys them. And cancer can eventually destroy the body. In fact, when you hear the word cancer for the first time from your doctor, that's all you hear and that's all you think about. And he's saying this worthless, foolish talk is kind of like cancer. It just consumes and destroys. Verse 18. Now referring to those two individuals in verse 17, which don't ever name your kids those two names. Um, <clears throat> He says, they have left the path of truth. And here's what they did. They claimed that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Now, here, here's what they were teaching. They were teaching that Jesus died, was crucified, and he died, and he rose from the dead. And they said, as believers, you identify with that. So therefore, the resurrection's already happened. That's it. Well, that's not it. The Bible teaches that there's going to be a second resurrection, there's going to be another resurrection, and that's us. Yes, we identify when we go through a physical baptism, we identify spiritually with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but we're going to also have our own resurrection. There is going to be another resurrection. What these guys were teaching is there is no other resurrection, it's already happened, so when you die, that's it. And that, that's what, they really actually brought some of the Jewish faith into their system, and, and they just believe in annihilation. You die, and that goes away. Now, here's why that would turn some people from the faith. They would say, well, wait a minute. If this life is it, and that's all there is to it, and uh, so I, I should just enjoy myself, right? I'm just going to have all the fun I can have. I can just do, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Why worry about something that... There are no consequences. So a lot of people began turning from the faith because of these two guys, and, and Paul just called them out on it. He said, so this is dangerous. They're, they're, they are the cancer. Verse 19. But God's truth stands firm like a found, foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. That's the first characteristic. And all who belong to the Lord, here's the second characteristic, must turn away from evil. So if you're a true believer, you first of all, you need to be reminded God knows that you belong to him. You're his. And now you're to turn away from evil. Another action point. I'm to turn away from evil. That means I must pursue holiness. To turn away from evil means I turn my back on it, but I pursue something else instead, and I pursue holiness, righteous living. So whenever something comes up in my life that would classif be classified as evil, I'm to turn my back on it and go in a different direction, and I'm to pursue holiness. Verse 20. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold, silver, and 
and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. Well, that makes very much, I mean, that makes sense. We do that today. We have our fine china and our silver serving ware in drawers and up on shelves that we never use. They're, you know, we just, they're too nice to use almost. And so we stick them up on the shelf and we rarely use them. And then we have our everyday dishes that we use every day. And if something breaks, no big deal. It's no, we can easily replace it. It wasn't that expensive. Now here's, here's the deal. Here's the comparison of why he's using it. Verse 21, if you keep yourself pure, so if you turn away from evil and you seek to keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use for every good work. Wow. So I'm to keep myself pure. Now, the way that happens is I allow the Holy Spirit to live through me. I, I cannot make myself righteous. God did that for me when Jesus died. But I am responsible for how I choose to live as a believer. And, and so I'm, I'm to make good decisions. And, and so if I live a life of purity then it allows God to use me in some special ways. You know, I can think of many public figures who God is using in some ama amazing ways. I, I mean, people like the Tim Tebows and, and a lot of people like that who they work hard to keep themselves pure and they just avoid the trappings of sinful lifestyle and therefore... God's able to use them in some big ways. But if he had chosen to just be a drunkard and yet still claim to be a Christian, who would have paid attention to him? God would have been very limited in what he could do in his life. Now you say, well, that's Tim Tebow. Well, no, let's talk about you. If you're a student in a school, you have, you, you, people know who you are. And if you live your life in such a way that people know that you, you strive to do the right thing and, and uh, you strive to, to be the right kind of person. So when you speak or you try to help someone, you have a much bigger impact. But if you start trying to tell other people how to live and ask, you know, tell them to live for Christ. And they look at you and they say, well, wait a minute. I'm in your class. I know you cheat on tests all the time. I know how you live on Friday night. I, I know what you do. So don't tell me about how I should be because I know how you are. Well, they kind of have a point, don't they? But at the same time, if if they, you have that reputation of not, you know, not being perfect, not being goody two-shoes, but they, they know that your words match your actions, then you have more credibility in being able to speak to them and to share your faith. So live the pure life so that God can use you in some special ways.
in some amazing ways. Because your reputation matches what you say. That's what these, that's what these verses mean. Keep yourself pure. Now, how do I do that? Verse 22 tells me. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run from it. Don't sit and negotiate with it. You run from it. Flee it. And youthful lust is not talking about just sexual desires. I mean, that's talking about pride, the desire for wealth and power. It's talking about self-assertiveness, jealousy, an argumentative spirit. It's talking about a whole list of things. And it says you, you need to flee that. You, you need to run from anything that creates that in you. So when you start feeling those desires, stop, turn, and go in the other direction. And then it says, instead of those things, you pursue righteous living, faithfulness, you pursue love, you pursue peace, you enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. In other words, you enjoy being with other believers because you, you, you encourage each other, you help each other. You don't isolate yourself from everybody else, but you know you need other believers, you need their encouragement. So if you want to keep yourself pure, here's how you do it. You run from anything that, that stimulates those desires that are ungodly. And instead, you pursue, you chase after righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Now, Paul, one last time, says in verse 23, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Just don't do it. And if you need examples of what I'm talking about, just start reading Facebook. And you'll see all the examples that you need. And Paul says again three times, and he's, he has said it in like seven short verses. He has said the same thing three times, so that ought to be a clue to you. You need to stay away from it. Verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. To be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. You know, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. I'll be honest with you. It's hard to be patient with difficult people, isn't it? It's easy to judge them and it's easy to get mad at them and it's easy to react to them. But the Bible says I need to be patient with them. And, and he's not talking about just Christians. He's talking about everybody. In fact, look at what he says in verse 25. He tells me what to do and he tells me how to do it. Gently instruct. The instruct is what to do. The gentle is how you do it. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth, non-believers. I gently tell them the truth about Jesus. I'm patient with them. 
I'm kind to them. I choose not to quarrel with them. I gently instruct them, well, this is what the Bible says. And when they want to fight back and argue back, I just simply say, well, you know what? Your argument's not with me. Your argument's with the Bible. Your argument's with God. Now, here, here's the motivation. If I choose not to be quarrelsome, if I choose to be kind to everyone, and if I choose to be patient with difficult people, and if I choose to gently tell them the truth, then the Bible says perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Perhaps they'll get saved. Now see, I cannot change a person's heart, but God can. So I do my part, and God will do his part. So is it worth a person's eternal soul for you to be gentle and patient and kind? Is it worth a person's soul for that? I would think you would say yes. So what does it mean for you to give your very best to the Lord? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you to be a vessel that can be used by God? What does that mean? What does it mean for you to choose to be a patient, kind, gentle person who speaks truth in a loving way? What does that mean for you? Let's pray.